Cisco Cabrera comes to the plate to bat for the pitcher. He hacked at the 2-0, now the 2-1. Line drive and a base hit! Just as the score of the tying run! Green to the plate! And he is safe! Safe at the plate! The Braves go to the World Series! The unlikeliest of heroes wins the National League Championship Series for the Atlanta Braves. Francisco Cabrera. And Atlanta pulls out game seven with three runs in the bottom of the ninth inning. And John Wetland one more time sad. And here comes a 2-2 pitch to Edgar Martinez down. A fastball swung on with the deep center field. Bernie Williams goes back in. the Robinson Gearing Studio Complex and straight out of God's country, Pauley's Island, South Carolina, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network proudly presents Backwards Pay Pod. And now, here's the host of the show, Jake Robinson. Good moment, baseball universe. What is up? It's your boy, half man, half podcast machine, Jake the Snake Robinson, Back in the captain, Kirk chair, shields down, photons up. Prepare to engage on this week's baseball podcast spectacular that I like to call Backwards K Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. Want to welcome everyone and all of you in my uh, beautiful minded, growing Seamhead Army, and any of the newbies who. Uh, you may have taken a right at that church about five miles ago and ended up here and like, what the hell? BKP is available on all podcast platforms or wherever you listen to your pods. Uh, if you're an Apple or Spotify user, please rate and re- review me as you see fit. I ain't scared. I will never send you, the audience, a bill for the content like those other guys. No Patreon, no crowdsourcing, nothing but that free baseball smoke every Tuesday. I'm pretty much all tangled up in the web, bruh. I'm on Twitter at jrobby one the show's Twitter page is at back underscore K underscore podcast. Uh, the YouTube page is the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network, where I not only put these audio files of these shows, but I also have one-on-one interviews with guys like Kenny Singleton, Bill Spaceman Lee, Benny Agbanyani, and so much more. So yeah, check that out at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network YouTube page. And... I'm pleased to announce I'm going to have a sit-down interview live coming soon with uh, renowned baseball artist Greg Kreinler in a few weeks. If you have seen, if you've never seen Greg's art, uh, first of all, get out from under the rock that you live under and hit up your Google machine. Dude is amazing. I did an interview with him during the pandemic about a year and a half ago, and I just loved his perspective on the game and how it influences his art. So. Look for that in late June, early July. Uh, I'm going to need to get with the head to see how we're going to proceed with that. Uh, I'll, pump, I'll pimp that info out as we get closer to the date. And I'm sure there will be announcements in the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network private group Facebook page. And every week I tell you 
how I've covered over 140 years in baseball and the 20 whatever shows I've done now. From Moses Fleetwood Walker all the way up to Shohei Otani. Well, that's about to change, folks. This week's topic goes even further back in lineage than Fleet Walker, if you can believe that. Uh, this week we will discussing we will be discussing the history of the Braves. Now, this is the first backwards K pod where I've pretty much dedicated a show to the history of one team, but it will not be the last. This is just the first. I've said many times on this show that my vision for the show is to become like this audio version of Baseball Wikipedia. And during this journey, you and I have examined players like Clemente, Nolan, and Fleet. And we've looked at stadiums like Wrigley, Shive, and Fenway. We've relived TV shows and movies like The Baseball Bunch, This Week in Baseball, and The Sandlot. We took a trip to the Dominican Republic to better understand their baseball culture. And quite honestly, folks, I'm proud of this eclectic diversity of topics I presented here, and I ain't done. Not by a long shot. I'm committed to this, to my bloody demise. And I want to continue to thank everyone for their sweet words. I am in a little bit of health. I'm having health issues right now, but I'm in the game. I'm a gamer. I'm trying to come up with these shows, put them in the can, because uh, I am going to be on the shelf for a while. Uh, and I'm glad that you're bearing with me. It, it has had an impact on how I do these shows, and I'm, and I'm grateful for everyone that has stuck by and listened to me and continued to support this show while I go through this. I'm a gamer. I'm here to stay, and I'm committed to this show until my bloody demise. I promise you. By the way, I'm not only on all major podcast platforms, but you can always find my fresh vault or produce of my archives at diamondsnakejake.podbean.com. And my point is, all of my health issues aside, and again, thank you for all the kind words. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm not one that, that, you know, asks for such things. It's kind of hard for me to accept it, actually. But I'm, I'm trying, and I thank you. I'm committed to using this show, you know, as like a vehicle to looking at baseball from all angles. You know, I just want to leave something behind for, for future generations behind me. And that includes the history of all 30 Major League teams. I do find it apropos that we would begin with the new current world champion Braves. But I got to be honest that uh, that really wasn't by design as I will be cover, covering these teams in alphabetical order. And Atlanta just happens to go number one. Now, I cover the stadiums by age, which means Dodger Stadium will be coming next month and is sitting on deck. But these teams and their history, I'm just going to go alphabetically down the road with this. So, I believe I laid it all out for you, right? Let's start this uh, back in the day, time travel train. And let's take a trip back to 1871, to the very beginning of the Braves' legacy, which begins actually in Boston, Massachusetts. In 1871, uh, let me tell you what's going on in the United States at this time. It's they're, they're still having growing pains after the Civil War. Jefferson Long 
is the first black American to make an official speech in the U.S. House of Reps. And he's opposing leniency to former Confederate soldiers. The National Association of Professional Baseball Players is organized. Segregated streetcars in Louisville, Kentucky are being integrated now. Jesse James robs a bank in Iowa for $45,000, which is worth around $1.07 million today. Mormon leader Brigham Young, he's arrested for bigamy. The Great Chicago Fires kills an estimated 300 people and completely wipes out over four square miles of buildings and city blocks. For my international fund, that equates to about 10 kilometers. President Grant condemns the KKK. The Ku Klux Klan trials begin. And there's a systemic problem all over the Indian territories in the United States, most notably with the Apache in the Arizona territories. So, while the country is mired in this uh, kind of post-Civil War reckoning phase, pro baseball is born. And come October, the Philadelphia A's beat the Chicago White Stockings for the first ever pro baseball championship. Two years later, the Cincinnati Red Stockings were established as the first openly professional baseball team. By 1871, the team is ready to dissolve due to the lack of, well, pro competition and money. And, you know, maybe this baseball thing, it's not going to work out. Which, you know, first sidebar of the show, how cool is it that baseball goes all the way back to the Civil War? I mean, think about it. Other than maybe horse racing and boxing, no sport comes close to the long history of baseball. And baseball kind of grew with this sometimes combustible new country, United States of America, right? This is why, for me, baseball will always be the country's national pastime. May not always be the country's favorite sport, but it will always be the national pastime. First of all, as I said, you can never dismiss baseball's presence during the growth of America into a super global power. And baseball is just played in the summer when new life breeds optimism. But I digress. So, as I said, the team would become uh, the team that would become the Reds were like, look, this baseball sport ain't going over well. We barely have enough competition to justify paying these salaries. So I think we're out. Yeah, yeah, we're out. And really, really it almost sounds like the Reds now don't. Right? Again, I digress. So, in Boston, around the same time, you have two dudes named Ivers Whitney Adams and his brother George. And along with a couple of former Red Stocking players, they formed a consortium, and now they were the nucleus of the Boston Red Stockings baseball team, or the Braves as we know them today. The Boston Red Stockings were a charter member of the newly formed National Association of Professional Baseball Players. A few later years later, uh, somebody would say, you know, that that's a little wordy. Let's just call them the National League. <laughs> you know, kind of like when Justin Timberlake told Lex Luthor to drop the 
the the off of uh, the Facebook, and then Luther became one of the richest dudes ever, and he used those finances and his war against zombies. Did, did I just get that right? The original Boston Red Stockings team and all of our team's names, ending with the Braves, can lay claim to being the oldest continuously playing team in all of American professional sports. The only, the only other team in American professional sports that has been organized as long as uh, the uh, Braves here is the Cubs. Unfortunately, the Cubs did not play baseball for two years after the great Chicago Five of 1871 that I mentioned in the beginning. And while the Cubs were to sell two players from the uh, north side of teams, they defected to Boston. That was pitcher Al Spalding who is the eventual founder of Spalding Sporting Goods. For any of you who may think that that name sounds familiar. And he also poached uh, second baseman Ross Barnes. And these two would turn out to be baseball's first two big stars during the NAPBBP years. <laughs> Again, let's just shorten that down uh, one day to the NL. That'd be great. Behind the great play of Spalding and Barnes, the Red Stockings, they dominated the NL, winning the fourth of the league's first five championships. And by 1876, they are more than occasionally called the Red Caps. So, you know, and this was basically done in order not to confuse them with the Cincinnati Red Stockings, who came back and now are also a charter member of the newly formed, I'm going to call them National League. Nah. The Red Caps ate him farewell in the NL's inaugural season, but they would come back with a vengeance, winning back-to-back NL pennants in 1877 and 1878. By 1883, the Boston sports writers began calling them the Bean Eaters, and they were the most dominant team in the Young National League during the 19th century, winning a total of eight pennants. The 1898 Boston Bean Eaters they went 102-47, and 47, a 149-game record that would stand for almost a century. In 1901, Boston becomes a two-baseball team city. And that's with the arrival of the young upstart American League Boston Red Sox. Not only did uh, they establish themselves in the city just miles away from them, but the Sox began now poaching bean-eater players. By offering contracts that, you know, these owners just refused to match. So, from 1900 to 1913, coinciding with the rise of the Red Sox in the American League, the Bean Eaters would suffer through six 100-loss seasons. Okay. Now, let's stick a pin in that right now. And uh, follow me, good brothers and sisters. Come, come walk this way. Now, at this time, I want to hit on where the eventual... Braves played at this time, real quick. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, as I do specific shows about stadiums from today and yesteryear. I've already got uh, Fenway, Wrigley, Scheib in my archives. I cover them extensively as their own entities, and I have plenty more of them coming. So you can check them out and my archives at Diamond Snake Jake. .podbean.com In fact, in that Fenway show, we discussed 
that the Braves, because of their proximity to Fenway, and I mentioned that the eventual Boston Braves and all of our wacky incarnation of names, they began playing at the South End Grounds. And at that time, it was the biggest, most state-of-the-art wooden stadium of our day. Now, again, I believe that South End Grounds is as an important yesteryear stadium as any other, and she will be covered extensively, uh, extensively on her own. Well, actually, I need to amend that. The, the South End Grounds of the early 1900s, when the Red Sox came around, and was this, this incarnation of them was actually the third stadium that the Braves played in that they called the South End Grounds, going back to 1871. So, I know. It's a lot, right? That's why I try not to get mixed up in the stadium stadium minutia when I can just break that down for you in individual shows. But I feel it's relevant in their story since it's so long ago. And there will eventually be a show about the South End Grounds and Braves Field where they would eventually move in 1915, three years after the opening of Fenway. In 1907... The team was sold to George and John Dovey. And of course, they changed the name to the Doves. <laughs> Boy, they. In 1911, William Hepburn Russell, he hated the name Doves so much that he bought the team and he changed the name to the Rustlers. I mean, just awful nickname after awful nickname. And to top it all off, the team stunk. We've gone from red stockings to red caps to bean eaters to doves to rustlers. Finally, 1912, James Gaffney, a rich, powerful member of the New York Democratic political machine, Tammany Hall. He brought the team, renamed them the Braves, and used an Indian chief as his logo, pretty much the same one they used at Tammany Hall. Two years later, the Boston Braves completed what many baseball historians consider one of the most miraculous baseball seasons ever. On the 4th of July, 1914, the Lowly Braves had just lost both games of a doubleheader versus the Brooklyn Dodgers. And they sat at 26-40, and 40, last place, 15 games behind the New York Giants. On July 6th, something must have happened to that team on the off day before because they caught lightning. From July 6th to September 5th, the Braves went 41-12. and On September 7th and 8th, the Braves curb-stomped the Giants, taking 2-3 from the defending back-to-back-to-back NL pennant winners and pushed their way through to first place. And not done with just getting there. The Braves made September and October their bitch. They closed out the stretch with a 25-6 and six record. While the Giants, never recovering from that curb stomping they took, they finished with a 16-16 and 16 record. The 1914 Miracle, Miracle Braves are the only team in baseball history to win a pennant after being in last place on the 4th of July. Folks, they were 15 out. They were actually in last place as late as July 18th. Then here they were. These miracle, uh, miracle brains of 1914, on the precipice of greatness, 
ready to take on Connie Mack and, you know, just his team of badasses, the Philadelphia A's. And the Braves, they, they come into the series as ultimate underdogs, but nevertheless, the Braves would sweep the mighty athletics and win the clincher on hallowed Fenway Park grounds. And if you remember in that Fenway show, I mentioned how the Braves and the Red Sox split time between Fenway and the eventual Braves field. And they even won uh, their World Series titles in each other's cribs, even though they didn't play each other in the World Series. And this was due to capacity issues. There's a lot of cross-pollinization between the Braves' early years in Boston and Fenway Park. So you can go to diamondsnakej.podbean.com to check that out. Now, the success of the 1914 season, it inspired Braves owner Gaffney to build a new modern Great Forbes team, thus spawning Braves Field. It was the largest park in baseball at its completion, and it had 40,000 seats. The park was the first to take advantage of its location in relation to public transportation and bringing fans right into the park. And the stadium, it seemed to be a harbinger of great times ahead, as the Braves contended in 1915 and 1960, uh, 16. But in the 20 years after 1916, Boston could only muster three winning seasons. Giants attorney uh, Emil Fuchs, Fuchs, he brought the team with the intention of bringing his longtime friend and pitching legend, Christy Mathewson into the game. Unfortunately, Mathewson, who had been gassed in World War I, was suffering from tuberculosis, and he couldn't even continue in a limited capacity. He would die two years later, unfortunately. Fuchs was committed to bringing the Braves back to life, but he was struggling with the soft infrastructure that he inherited, and the Great Depression was just wreaking havoc on his product. So, in an effort... To jumpstart the organization, Fuchs works out a deal to acquire Babe Ruth from the New York Yankees. Uh, Fuchs would go on to name Ruth vice president and assistant manager, and he also promised him a share in the team's profits. Ruth was also promised he would uh, be consulted on all players' transactions and day-to-day ops. And there was even kind of like this hollow promise that he could take over as manager once Bill McKechnie stepped down. And at first glance, things, you know, they looked great. Uh, Ruth leads the Braves to a 4-2 victory on opening day. Um, however, you know, a 4-20 May, it doomed any chance the Babe and his teammates had to salvage the season. Ruth himself was winding down as... His days of hard living, cigars, and deteriorating body, it was starting to catch out with them. In fact, there were Braves pitchers who were threatening to go on strike if Ruth played the field during these starts. The babe began to sadly realize that, uh, you know, his vice president title, it was in name only. The promise of uh, shared profits, that was a lie. In fact, it became clear to Ruth that Fuchs actually wanted... Ruth to invest his own money into this floundering franchise. And finally, 
after reading the writing on the wall. Babe hits three home runs in his last game played as a pro, and six days later, he retires from baseball for good. The Braves would finish 38-115, the worst season in franchise history, and their 238 winning percentage is third worst in MLB history. Feebly at balls he formerly would have smashed out of the ballpark. Sorrowfully, the Sultan of Swap realized that the time had come to quit. It was a relief to drop the Braves uniform on the bench, for in his heart, Babe Ruth had never stopped being a Yankee. By 1935, Fuchs and the Braves, they're insolvent. So, he uh, flips the franchise to Bob Quinn, who tries to uh, change the team's fortunes by doing what? Take a guess, folks. That's right. He changes the name. They're now calling themselves the Bees, which, sidebar here, uh, that's not a bad name. A lot of marking ideas come to mind. I see, like, this cool black and yellow kind of color scheme. But, look, changing uniforms and names has never been enough. You need players. You need better players. It's that simple. So, after five years of the Bees, (laughs) the Bees, construction magnet, Lou Perini buys the team from Bob Quinn, and he changes the name back to the Braves. Aye, aye, aye. Now, 1948, the Braves won the NL pennant. They forced their will on second place St. Lou, beating them out by six and a half games. And their pitching staff is angered by Warren Spahn and Johnny Sane, who... Won 39 games combined in 1948. Unfortunately, the rest of the rotation wasn't uh, worth anything, you know, writing home about. So, Boston Post writer Gerald Hearn penned the following poem. Where's it at? Here it is. First will you spawn, and then will you sane. Then an off day, followed by rain. Back will come spawn, back will come sane. And followed, we hope, by two days of rain. And the poem was received so widely that it is usually paraphrased as spawn and sane, then pray for rain. And it remains part of the baseball lexicon today. The Braves team would lose to the Indians in the 1948 World Series, four games to two. The Indians had beat the Red Sox in a one-game playoff that year, and that spoiled an all-Boston World Series. After the World Series loss, the Braves returned to mediocrity and attendance steadily fell off. With the rise of Ted Williams and the Red Sox, it was becoming painfully clear that Boston was no longer a two-team town and that the Red Sox, they had become the team of choice. After 84 years of playing baseball in Boston, the Braves played their last home game on September 21st 1952, losing to the Brooklyn Dodgers 8-2 before 8,882 fans in attendance. And after a half century of no baseball teams relocating, that all changed on March 13, 1953 when team owner Lou Perini sought permission from the National League to move the Braves to Milwaukee. At the time, 
There was actually a race to get to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We now know that the St. Louis Browns owner, Bill Veck, was also interested in Milwaukee as a destination for his team, but his requests had been voted down by the other American League owners, and he would eventually move the Browns to Baltimore to become the Orioles. So, going into the 1953 spring training, it looked as though the Braves may have to play at least one more year in Boston. But on March 18th, it was announced that the Braves would indeed be allowed to move to Milwaukee. The All-Star game that was scheduled to be played at Braves Field was now moved to Crosley Field, and it would be hosted by the Reds. The Braves, they already had their AAA team known as the Brewers in Milwaukee already. And they would move them to Toledo, Ohio. And I'm sure that the owners, they liked the fact that the Braves kind of had like this built-in infrastructure of Brave fans already there because of the presence of their AAA team. So, after the Braves bolted for Milwaukee, the Braves field site was sold to Boston University. And it has been reconstructed as Nickerson Field. It still stands in some capacity and is used today. Now, the move to Wisconsin for the Braves, it kind of initiated a series of teams migrating to different cities out west, and it set a new course for baseball. It provided this impetus for, you know, league expansion. And I surmised a minute ago what other owners probably liked about this move. Now, I'll tell you what the Braves owner, Lou Perini, probably liked about this move. First of all, the territory is entirely his. He no longer has to share a city with another club. Secondly, County Stadium, it's kind of a sweetheart crib and a sweetheart deal. It was the first stadium built entirely on public funding. It offered parking for nearly 10,000 cars. County Stadium was the first Major League ballpark to be built with lights. All the other stadiums in the league up to this point that had lights, they had their lights added to pre-existing stadium structure. Again, the AAA Brewers played here, so the Braves took over and sent the Brew Group to Ohio. But as we all know now, they would return after the whole Seattle Pilots fiasco. And I don't know what it was exactly. Was it the cheese, the beer, the brats, Packers football? I don't know. But the city of Milwaukee inherited a dynamic baseball team bursting at the seams with a blend of young talent and veteran leadership. They had Eddie Matthews bashing baseballs out of County Stadium regularly. I mean, regularly enough to lead the majors in home runs. They had high-kicking Warren Spahn, Luper Dett, Joe Adcock, uh, a feisty Johnny Logan, Wisconsin farm boy Andy Pofko, and all those guys. And, of course, the super consistent future Hall of Famer, Hank Aaron. And the city fell in love with their team from day one. The local merchants would shower the players with gifts. All things from discounts at the dry cleaners to some of Milwaukee's finest malted and fermented beverages. And despite playing in a stadium that had no bleacher seats in center field or in right field, no advanced ticket sales, 
The Braves established, established a National League record at the time of 1.8 million fans at their ballpark. The following year, they would surpass the 2 million mark. In 1957, behind the strong pitching of Lou Burnett and the power bats of Eddie, Hank, and Wes Covington, the Braves of Milwaukee, they beat Casey Stengel and the mighty Yankees in seven. Burnett collected three wins, including two shutouts to stymie in the Yankee lineup. In 1958, the Braves were repeat as NL pennant winners, but the Yankees would get their revenge as New York would bounce Milwaukee in seven games. The next season, the team tied for first, but lost to the Los Angeles Dodgers in a playoff game. Unfortunately, and I, I could not find a good reason why, but the attendance again begins to decline, even though the product on the field was more than competitive. And as it declines, Perini sold the team to a group of investors from Chicago, and the group had tried to move the team to Atlanta after the 1964 season, but the stadium lease was tighter than a snail's pussy, and it literally held them in Milwaukee through the 1965, I'm sorry, 64 and 65 season. The state attorney general, Bronson LaFollette, he sued to keep the team in Milwaukee, but come opening day in 1966, the Braves were now playing in Atlanta. The team that had never had a losing season once in their 13 years of play in Milwaukee was suddenly gone on their way to Atlanta. In 1969, the Atlanta Braves went 93-69. and 69. They would clinch the NL West, but they would lose to the amazing 69 Mets, who would eventually go on to win the World Series. Other than that... The Braves here, they, they they look pretty much irrelevant. They look like a pretty mediocre team during a stretch. All that changed on April 4th, 1974, when the baseball universe was left to marvel and really catch their collective breath as Henry Aaron, the last Negro League player to reach the majors, smashed the most cherished of all baseball records back then, Babe Ruth's 714. Like Roger Maris, who had a set of challenges to face in 1961 when he broke Babe record of 60 homers in a season, Hank's mental toughness was put to the test as Henry had spent the last year and a half sifting through the mouths of racist and life-threatening letters in his mailbox every day for daring to challenge Ruth's record. On April 8, 1974, Hammer and Hank and the Atlanta Braves were on the big stage as millions of baseball fans watching on TV as well as the 53,775 fans inside of Atlanta's Fulton County Stadium, uh, which, by the way, is the largest crowd in the stadium's history. So we're all sitting there. We watch Hank walk up to the plate in the fourth inning to take on Al Downing of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Downing throws a hanging curveball. Aaron pounds it beyond the wall 
and left center field for home run number 715, passing the immortal Babe Ruth. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 715. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. For me, Hank is special. He's probably my favorite baseball player in the history of the game. I, I didn't get much into him and Eddie Matthews' career because those dudes, they deserve and will have their own show, as well as the quartet of Chipper and those three Hall of Fame pitching studs of the 90s, Mattis, Clavin, and Smoltz. All those guys, they're going to get their own show. Uh, so I didn't really dig into the stats in their playing career too much today. I pretty much made the focus about the Braves organization. But Hank is special. And Aaron spent 20 years playing the Braves organization from 1954 to 1974. And after that memorable 74 season, the Braves sent him back to Milwaukee where the Brewers were now rooted once again in the city, but this time as a major league team. And he would spend the 75 and 76 seasons there before retiring. Uh, let's take a look at Hank Aaron's final numbers. Just as a brave, we won't even count the two years that he played for the Brewers. So, Hank Aaron here, 21-year career for the Bravos. 143 wins above replacement, folks. 11,628 at-bats, 2,107 runs, 3,600 hits. Now, 600 of those hits were doubles. 96 of them were triples. And 733 of them were home runs. So, by my count, over 1,400 of his 3,600 hits were for extra bases. That's just... Dumb, scary production, folks. 2,022 RBIs, 6,591 total bases. During his tenure with the Braves, Henry had a 310, 377, 567 slash, and a 159 OPS plus. And, you know, those numbers are just sick. They're top five for sure. In 1976, the Braves were purchased by media mogul Ted Turner. The new uh, owner, he began airing all the team's games to national audience on his cable superstation, TBS. Wow, many execs in baseball, in the baseball universe, they considered this, you know, unnecessary, you know, covering a regional and a bad team on top of that. And, you know, following them, covering them nationally. Uh, Turner, though, he had a vision, and he branded the Braves as America's team. And truth be told, because of Turner's vision, 
the Braves' national pro- profile was raised by the uh, national broadcast, and the team has gone on to be one of the most popular teams in all of baseball. After suffering through horrid seasons in which the Braves only made the playoffs twice, 1969-1982, and its first quarter century in Atlanta, the team was revitalized by the steady hand of GM John Sherholtz and manager Bobby Cox. And these new Braves, they're led by a trio of just badass pitchers. Greg Maddox, one of the, I mean, Greg Maddox, it's between Greg Maddox and Pedro Martinez for me, who the greatest pitcher is that I've ever seen. You know, it kind of depends on the day, how I feel that day. But it's usually between those two. But they also had Tom Glavin, John Smoltz. They had sluggers like Chipper Jones, David Justice pacing the offense. And during the 1900s and early 2000s, the Braves went on an incredible run, winning an unprecedented 14 consecutive divisional titles from 1991 to 2005. With the lone exception being 1994, when the season was lost or strike. But, if you remember, I did the death of the Montreal Expo show, and Montreal was firmly in control of the NLEs when the strike happened. In fact, there's a great story about Greg Maddox and rookie Cliff Floyd in there that is a must-listen. And you can check that out in the archives at diamondsnakejake.podbean.com, the death of the Expo show. It's, 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 it's probably one of my favorites. The Braves played the World Series five times in the 90s, winning it all in 1995 versus the Indians. And 2007, Time Warner, which had merged with TBS in 1996, they sold the Braves and TBS stopped its national broadcast of games. And boy, oh boy, you know, Time Warner sucks balls. They, they also took uh, WCW off around the same time. Basically let Vince McMahon come in and buy that company for uh, pennies on the dollar. Time Warner, you suck. The Braves went back to the postseason in 2010, losing in the championship series round. And uh, 2011, the team lost an eight-and-a-half game lead in the wild card standing with a month left. It was the second worst September collapse in the history of baseball. The Braves returned to the postseason in 12, but were bounced by the St. Lil and their newly instituted uh, wildcard system in 2013. The Braves won the first divisional title in eight years, but were again beaten by a wildcard in 2013. After a disappointing follow-up to 2013, the team entered like this rebuild rebuild period, and they did it well. The 2015 Braves would post their worst record in almost a quarter of a century, 67-95. But by 2018, the Braves are beginning to flip that switch, and they went from losing 90 in 2016 to winning 90 in 2017. The Braves would return to the postseason in 2020, but the team gave up a 3-1 games lead to the Dodgers, and they would be eliminated in seven. In 2021, the Braves would get their revenge, defeating the Dodgers in a six-game 
uh, NLCS for the first World Series appearance in 22 years. Atlanta then defeated the Houston Astros in six games to capture the Braves' fourth world title. And that leads us now to the 2022 season. And that, my cement friends, is the history of the Braves. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. And men, what a long and storied career. You know, what a long story, I'm sorry, history that the Braves have. Sometimes I forget. You know, the Braves spent, they spent 84 years in Boston. I mean, the Braves haven't even been in Atlanta as long as they were in Boston. Yet, I just find that so so wild. I, I do find it troubling that while the Braves were very successful in uh, County Stadium, they still were not able to uh, keep their attendance in Milwaukee. That, that's a weird thing. And as I'm doing this show today, I just couldn't help but think about the stadiums. Braysfield, County Stadium, Fulton County, Turner Field, and now Truist Park. All the disturbing logo images from back in the day. Players like Matthews, the Hammer, Chipper, Necro, Gant, manager Bobby Cox, the Trio. I mean, this organization is thick and both tradition and history. And there are so many books and videos out there on YouTube to reference this topic. So, look, I'm going to bounce, but I hope you guys share this pod with your Seamhead friends. Uh, you just bring your friends to meet my friends, and we can all be friends. Alright? That's all right with you? Yeah, keep banging. I'm available on all major podcast platforms, wherever you listen to your pods. Visit us on YouTube or Facebook or at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network Facebook page. Before I get out of here, I want to let you know that next week we will talk. We will be talking about the Iron Bird, Cal Ripken Jr. But that's another story for another pod here on Backwards K Pod, where. We collect ball players and their stories. Parents, if you see your kids sitting on the couch looking bored AF, please, by all means, take him or her outside and play a game of catch. That's good medicine for the soul right there, baby. Thank you all for coming out. God bless and win the day.